place where kids live out God's adventure. I want you to know that this isn't just a kid's building. This is a call. This is a mission. This is an adventure. Our theme for the next two weeks is your adventure awaits. And we believe that God has adventures for your life, for your children. And so the theme verse to this building is found in the book of Mark, Mark 16, 15. In fact, you'll see the number 1615 in the building. You'll see this verse in the building. Because God has called us to an adventure. You may not know it, but God's called you to a great adventure. And so I want us to read that adventure that God has called us to. Let's do it all together. Those of you joining us online, let's say it together. Here we go. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Why don't you close your eyes? Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you, God, that you're a God of dreams and visions. In fact, we're here. We exist as a church to help people discover God's vision for their lives. You have so much. An adventure is awaiting for us. So anoint this message. Speak to our hearts. Lord, let us celebrate this dream coming to pass. And not only that, Lord, let us grab a hold of that dream and live it out in the adventure called life. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. It's interesting, the word adventure is a word as I did a little bit of study and looked at definitions and looked at different types of um, dictionaries to get the definition. There were three words that kept coming through when you look up the word adventure. One word is the word unusual. One word is the word exciting. And one word is the word dangerous. So the definition for adventure is an unusual, exciting, and dangerous activity. Anybody in your life taken some adventures? Come on, whether it's climbing a rock wall or, you know, Fear factor, eating something crazy, I mean, a ghost pepper or whatever it might be. In life, we take adventures. We do dangerous things. How many know life is dangerous? Right? Come on. How many know life is dangerous? Just go to junior high school. Come on. Between pimples and puberty and cooties, life is dangerous. Right? Come on. How many know high school is dangerous? Peer pressure, right? Let's get real. How many know... Marriage is dangerous. Come on, all the married people said. Amen. Come on, just the fight over the remote is dangerous. Are we going to watch Jack Bauer or The Bachelor? Hey, man, okay. Jack Bauer's not even on anymore, but. How about this? Having kids is dangerous. Right? Come on, between um, diapers and no sleep for months. Life is dangerous. And, and what's interesting is that God has called us to an adventure. You may not realize it, but God has a, a vision for you. He has a dream for you. He has thoughts towards you. And he has an adventure that he wants you to take. And he wants you to marry that adventure with him and his kingdom. And so we're going to spend some time talking about it. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to use a story about a man who lived out some pretty great adventures. His name is Saul. You probably know him better as Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle lived out a great adventure. God called him to go into the world and to preach the gospel, to do what this verse is all about. He was so adventurous, he actually was shipwrecked three separate times. He was abused. He was um, beaten. He literally died on a couple occasions. 
He was put in prison. He had the chance to preach to the president or the, the leader of Rome, the, the Caesar. Caesar. And, and so the reality is that he went on this journey, this adventure that connected with God's kingdom. But it didn't start that way. And what I want to do is I want to go back to the beginning. Because he was on an adventure. It just wasn't God's adventure. And I want to tell you the story of Saul. Let me set it up for you. Saul, at the time... He was a religious zealot. He believed in, the, in Judaism and he'd studied under Gamaliel, the, the leader at the time. He was one of the, the best teachers of the law. He was a Pharisee, very strict in his feelings about his faith and, and how it was to be lived out. And he hated people who were part of the way or Christians. And so he basically did everything in his power to destroy the Christian belief system and to destroy Christians. And if they didn't recant, he would arrest them and, and even have them sentenced to death. So he got this uh, official letter from the, the, the people in the, the, the nation of Israel that were in Jerusalem, the high priest, to go to a city called Damascus so that he could go in and he could arrest people that were Christians. And he's, as he's on his journey to Damascus, I want you to see what happens. If you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to look at him telling the story of this experience in Acts 26 and 22. We're also going to look at Acts chapter 9, where the author of Acts, Luke, tells us a little bit about it. Look at what he says. If you have a Bible, turn to Acts 26, verse 13. About noon, I was on the road, and a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down. And I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Let me just stop right there. How many of you figured, if you're a Christian in the room, how many have figured out that it's, it's a waste of time to fight against God's plan and God's will? How many figured out you're going to struggle a little bit when you fight against God? How many know God's always going to win? He said, why are you fighting me? Why are you persecuting me? And here's how Saul responds. Now remember, he's blinded. He's on the ground. He can't see. And he says, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Today, maybe you came and you came because someone invited you. You're not a Christian and you don't know, even if you believe in Jesus, you believe in this whole religious thing, but you came to see a building. Here's what I believe you need to know. This message, I believe this morning is for you. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian. I believe that there's a message for you this morning. And the first thing when I read this story that I think we need to understand is this. When it comes to God's adventure, you need to know Jesus is waiting for you on your adventure. Amen. Jesus is waiting on your journey for you. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever waited for someone? And then in the waiting, they were like late. And you had to pray for forgiveness and bitterness to be, you know, because it was frustrating, right? How many of you have ever met someone that was waiting for you, but it was kind of unexpected? Um, I'll give you an example. There was this guy that when I was younger and went to my dad's church, we called him Dave the security guy or Dave the safety guy. And Dave was this older gentleman that had never been married. He was very thin and, and he, he walked around with like that big set of keys that jingled, you know, off of his belt and he would lock and unlock doors for the church. He was kind of would close up at the end. His name was, but what was interesting is when he smiled, it was like, you didn't know if he was smiling because he was happy to see you or he was smiling because he was planning like to like wrap you up and take you to the desert and put you in a hole. Come on. <laughs> Have you ever met somebody when they smiled, you just quite kind of, quite sure because you're like is his middle name Dahmer you know what I'm saying I mean <laughs> it was kind of strange it was, it was kind of a creepy smile it'd be like he'd see you and he'd be like hey Jared 
And what was crazy about Dave, the safety guy, is that not only did he have a, kind of a creepy smile, but he had this ability to like catch you off guard. He'd show up randomly. Like I'd walk out of the bathroom at the church and as soon as I'd walk out, suddenly he'd be like, hey, Jared. It's like he was waiting for me. And I'd be like, whoa, hey, Dave. It kind of freaked me out. And, or I'd be walking in, you know, into the auditorium. And, and uh, I walked into the auditorium as soon as I turn around the corner, it's like, poof, Dave is there. He's like, hey, Jared. And I'm like, hey, Dave, you know. In fact, this happened many times. I would be leaving. The church was being closed down. Nobody was even in the parking lot. And I walk out to my car. No one's in the parking lot. I reach into my pocket, put my head down to get my keys. And as I pull the keys out, suddenly I just turn and there's Dave. Hey, Jared. It was a bit of a creepy thing. Can I tell you something? Sometimes people are waiting with an agenda, maybe even with intention that may not be the best. But can I tell you, that's not the way that Jesus waits for us. Because Jesus, when he waits, he waits with intention and he waits with purpose. As I read this story, I really believe that, that God is waiting for you. Jesus is standing on your journey waiting for you. Some of you have experienced what happened to Saul. Jesus showed up in the middle of your journey. And how many are thankful that Jesus was waiting for you? And as I read this story, a couple things come to my mind. The first thing is this, and I think this is really profound. Here's what's interesting. You need to know that Saul didn't believe in Jesus. Now, he believed he existed, Right? But he didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He didn't believe that he was the son of God. He didn't believe that he had risen from the grave. He didn't believe that he was the only way to heaven. He didn't believe those things. He didn't believe in Jesus. And I want to say there's some people that maybe are here today or joining us online and you're not sure where you stand with this whole faith thing and is Jesus really who he said he is. But here's the good news of this story that even if you don't believe in Jesus, Jesus believes in you. Come on, I'm going to say that again because I feel like that's powerful. Even though you don't believe in Jesus, Jesus believes in you. You see, sometimes in life, we, we have our doubts and we have our questions. But what you got to know is that this story, what it tells us is that God sees your potential. He sees what is possible when you connect your journey, your adventure with God. And today, I, 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 my duty as a pastor is to make sure that everyone in this room and those joining us know that God has a plan. He has a vision. As a church, we exist to help you discover God's vision, dream, adventure for your life. You need to know that Jesus is waiting for you. He's here today, and he wants to open your eyes and help you see that there's more. That he, in fact, he said, I came to give you life abundantly. There's abundant life. You'll never live up to your potential until you invite Jesus into your journey. Reality is that Jesus believes in you. You know, it's interesting, a, a while back, many of you know, I've told the story about my son Tanner, and uh, he's, he shared it with you, preaching one weekend, about his ride for freedom, where they, they started on the West Coast, and on bicycles, rode 3,200 miles, over 10,000 altitude mountains. Think about that, riding up a mountain, with 40-pound ba bags on your bike that have the tent and the food and the water you need to survive in case there's no town to stop in. Imagine riding up over a mountain and riding 3,200 miles, cars zooming by, sleeping on the side of the road where there's coyotes and animals. I mean, it was a dangerous, scary thing. And I'll never forget, you know, he came to us and he said, Dad, I, I, Mom, I have this vision. I, wanna, I feel like God's saying we need to do this. And you know, when he came the first time, we're kind of like, you want to do what? 
Come on, have you ever had your kids say, hey, let's do this, and you're like, hello, McFly, what are you thinking? And we, we kind of tried to talk him out of it, but we realized that it was the real thing. He felt like it was a God thing, and so we said, okay, you can do this. We believe in you. you know, I'm going to get behind you and help you in every way I can. And I'll never forget, there was a moment of vulnerability that Tanner shared with us, and I hope he's okay with this. I've already done it twice, so cats, cats out of the bag, whatever. <clears throat> Horses out of the barn. And one day, about a <clears throat> month before they were going to go on this ride, <clears throat> we were driving over the grapevine. And I'll never forget, Tanner said, Mom, Dad, and he just broke down and started to weep. Takes after his dad. I'm a bit of a crier, and, and Devet can be a crier as well. So he starts to cry, and we're like, gosh, what's going on? I'm like, son, are you okay? What's going on? He's like, I just want to say thank you. I'm like, thank you for what? What are, what are you talking about? He said, he said, you guys don't know how for the last few months I have been scared to death. I've been scared thinking, we're never going to do this. This is impossible. I don't even know how to do this. I don't even think this is, this is something that we'll ever accomplish. And he said, there have been so many days that I just didn't even believe it. I didn't believe that we could do it. He said, but I got to tell you something. It has meant more than anything that you'll ever know to know that you believe in me. He said, thank you for believing in me because it's made me believe in myself. And I want to stop and say today, maybe you're here and you don't even believe in Jesus, but you don't even believe in you. You don't believe that you can be a Christian. You don't believe that you can live a better life. You don't believe that good things can happen. You're a victim of the circumstances around you. But here's what you need to know. Even though you don't believe in Jesus, even though you don't believe in yourself, Jesus believes in you and he's waiting to be a part of your journey. Come on, somebody say amen. We see this in Saul because Saul called himself, I'm the worst of sinners. I'm the worst of sinners. Sometimes we can just think, well, gosh, I can't do it, but Jesus believes in us. You know, there's another part of this story that I just want to highlight for a second, and that is that there are people here like Saul, and Saul was someone who had, through experiences in connection with Jesus, had become hardened in his heart. And there are people here that maybe you've become hardened because of things that have happened in relation to your faith or to religion. Someone you looked up to made a horrible mistake. Someone that was a Christian that was in business and you had an interaction with them and they, they didn't act like Christ and they did you wrong. And so now you've got this bitterness and this hardness of heart. And, 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 and here's the reality is that a lot of times in life that can happen. I'll never forget a friend of mine who's in our church who recently accepted Christ and grew up in the Jewish faith. And, and he told me one day in a conversation as we were kind of processing his journey and talking about his faith, I, I actually, as I was talking to him about reading the New Testament, he said, I was reading it and, and it, I'm just not getting much out of it. And I said, you know, one of the things I figured out is that when you're offended, you can't receive. And I said, could it be that you're offended by Jesus? He's like, well, what do you mean? And then as we began to talk, he said, I'll think about it and pray about it. And what was interesting is he began to share with me how that growing up as a Jewish young boy in a largely Catholic area, throughout his years in school, all of the supposed friends or kids in the school used to persecute him and call him Jesus killer. And he said, you know, I think you're right that I might have an offense because Jesus didn't do it to me. People in the name of Jesus did it to me. 
And I wonder how many of us, like Saul, our hearts have become hardened because of things that have happened in the name of religion, things that have happened in the name of Jesus, things that have been said and posted in the name of faith. And I want to tell you something. Here's the cool news, that even if you reject Jesus, Jesus won't reject you. Because Jesus, amen. Jesus sees your potential, he has a plan for your life, and he's here waiting for you to help you find forgiveness and freedom and hope and a new adventure. And in this adventure, you're not carrying your shame. In this adventure, you're not carrying your sin. God has a plan. He said, I know the thoughts I have towards you, thoughts of a hope, thoughts of a future, thoughts to prosper you and not to harm you. Here's the good news. Jesus is waiting for you on your adventure. Somebody say amen. Your adventure awaits. Here's the second thing. The second thing I think we all need to understand, and that is that relationship is waiting on your adventure. Relationship is waiting on your adventure. I want to read to you now what happens. He has this encounter with Jesus, and he responds to say, Who are you, Lord? And here's what then takes place. So then Saul picked himself off the ground. This is found in Acts 9. This is the story that Luke, the author, is sharing about this experience. He said he picked himself off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. We'll go back to that at the end of the sermon. So his companions, everybody say, my companions. Come on, everybody say, my friends. And if you're Spanish, say, mi compadres. Just throwing that out there, being a little diverse. I don't even know if I said it right, but I tried, amen. My companions, his companions led him by the hand to where? Damascus, now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision. And the Lord said, go over to Straight Street, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I'm going to pause there for a minute. So here's what's happened. There's been this conversion. There's been this process where God is changing Saul's heart. He's praying to God. He's fasting. He's surrendering his life. He calls him Lord, all right? He says, he's praying to me. He said, and I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, brother Saul. Let me pause right there. How many remember back in the day when we called each other like brother John and sister so-and-so? Anybody remember those days? All right, how many have no idea what I'm talking about? So if you grew up in church, it was brother Dave and brother James. He says, brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from his eyes. Can I pause right there? And doesn't this sound like a, uh, what's the new movie, the Avengers movie or something? It's like, it's like he was a mutant, Holy Spirit mutant. Come on, isn't that cool? <clears throat> scales fall from his eyes and he regained his sight and then he got up and he was baptized. Here's what's interesting. I just gave you the point that relationship is waiting on your adventure. And as I began to contemplate and meditate on this passage, here's what I began to see. And that is that he was in relationship. He had friends, but here who the, here's the friends that he had. Friends who didn't know Jesus. Friends who weren't a part of the kingdom. And so what do his friends do? They lead him to Damascus. Now let me just stop right here and make a statement. Your friends and my friends can only take us so far. If they don't know Christ, if they don't understand the kingdom, your friends can only take you so far. 
And where did they take him? They took him to the place of his brokenness, of his anger, of his jealousy, of his sickness he can't see. Without Jesus, without godly friendship in your life, you can only go so far. You all with me? Some of us are still living in Damascus. Some of us are still living in blindness. Some of us are still living in sin. Some of us are living in anger. Some of us are living in the wrong passions and the wrong desires because certain friendships can only take you so far. But here's what I love about the story is that God said, when I join your journey, I'm going to bring new relationships into your life and the new relationships in your life are going to take you beyond your Damascus. Come on, somebody say amen to that. Because here's the reality. God will use the right people to bring about the right things in your life. You see, when you get the right people in the right place with the right vision, the right things happen. God has relationships waiting for you. That's why in this church, we're constantly saying when you become a Christian, don't just live your life alone. You need to be in a circle. And whether that circle is a, a group that meet once, meets once a month and does a Bible study, or we have groups that meet every week. We have a biking circle where you can ride a bicycle with other believers and pray before you do it. We have a sewing circle if you like to sew or quilt that meets on a regular basis. We've got prayer circles. We've got men's circles, women's circles, marriage circles, family circles. Why? God is wanting to bring your Ananias into your life so that he can begin to free you from your blindness. He can get you beyond your baggage and your past and your Damascus and into the world, into the promises, onto the adventure that he has for you. Relationship, the right relationship is waiting on your adventure. And you know what that relationship will do? I'm going to show you two things in this story. One, it'll bring freedom. The Bible says Ananias shows up and what does he do? He lays his hands on him and the scales fall off his eyes. And now, instead of being bound in blindness, he's set free. Did you know that Jesus said that he came? He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal those who are blind and to set the captives free. You see, I got to tell you that freedom and healing come. What does the Bible say? Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. There are certain places beyond Damascus, beyond your pain of healing, certain places of freedom that you'll never experience unless you've invited Christ into your journey and in that process welcomed godly relationships, whether it's a pastor who teaches you the word or whether it's leaders who inspire you to do better things or whether it's other Christian friends in small groups and circles that that can hold you accountable and pray for you. Relationship is the key spiritually to help you advance beyond your Damascus. Y'all with me? I recently heard about an article that was written in a news publication, and it was about a man who was an addiction expert. Not that he was good at being addicted, let me just explain, but he was an expert on addiction. And what he did is he studied these things that had been done, studies and research projects, to try to understand how to let people experience freedom from addiction. One study that he, he, he analyzed was where they took a rat... Now, this is a true story, and they put a rat, the scientists put a rat into a cage or a maze, and at the end of it, they put a bottle of water that they could drink out of and a bottle of heroin. And there was also a, a toy like a wheel and a spinner, and the, this rat in the study went and tried the water, and then he tried the heroin, and you know what happened. 
he kept going back to the heroin until eventually he killed himself from the heroin addiction. And as he was looking and analyzing the study, he asked himself the question, he said, why in the study did they do it without other rats in the same cage, in the same maze? So he said, I wonder what that dynamic would bring to this experience. And so he redid the study years later. And here's what he did. He put several rats, the water, the heroin, and the toys. And what's interesting is that the rat went to the water, went to the heroin, and then went back to the water and never went back to the heroin again because there were other relationships, there were other rats to help bring and keep the rat in freedom. There's power in the right relationships. When the right people gather for the right things in the right places, the right things happen. And what I want to encourage you with is that the reason that God has brought you into his kingdom, the reason that Jesus has waited on your journey and helped you find freedom and forgiveness is because he wants to bring godly relationships. That's why you got to get into a circle. That's why you got to be in the kingdom with relationships with other people. Why? Because there's power in relationship and it brings freedom. You know, the other thing it brings, not only freedom, it brings favor. Come on, everybody say favor. If you look at the story of Saul, what's interesting is that once Saul becomes a Christian, watch, he realizes that God has called him to take the gospel around the world and to preach to the Gentiles. So he starts doing it in Damascus and he starts telling his story and immediately people begin to come against him. They don't believe that he's really a Christian. They, they question his sincerity and all of that. And eventually he wants to go and meet the apostles so he can tell them about his conversion and his encounter with Jesus. But the apostles in Jerusalem won't meet with him. And you know they won't, they won't, why they won't meet with him? Because they think that he's a double agent. Seriously. They think that he's going to act like he's a Christian so that when he meets with them, then he can go back and tell his buddies for the, the, the local Sanhedrin and then they'll come and arrest them and stop the work of the kingdom and, and kill all of the leaders of the church. So they won't meet with him. But guess what? When you invite Jesus into your adventure, he'll bring the right relationships into your adventure that'll give you the favor you need to fulfill that adventure. Along comes a guy by the name of Barnabas. God brings Barnabas into his life, by the way, his name means encourager. And what does he do? He sees the sincerity in Paul's heart. He sees the calling on Paul's life. And so he goes back to the apostles and said, hey, this isn't a double agent. You need to receive him. We need to help him. We need to encourage him. God's got his hand on his life. And he begins a relationship with the apostles. Barnabas ends up after some training, taking him to Antioch and launches him as a pastor and an apostle in the ministry, which launches his calling where he goes around the world. And now a third of the New Testament that you read was written by the man who was killing Christians. Here's the point. When you get Jesus on your journey, he'll bring the relationships you need which will release the favor you need to fulfill God's purpose and adventure in your life. Amen? I want to tell you a story of how that happened here at Higher Vision Church because here's the bottom line. It's not what you know, it's who you know. I don't think David had heard this uh, until last service, but many years ago, before we had started Higher Vision Church, I had a dream, a vision in my heart that God had given me to plant a church. He had told me to come to this valley to do it. It was probably 17 years ago. 
And I'm, I'm praying and I'm running and God began to give me this idea of big vision, discovering God's vision for your life. What is the verse of our church is that God can do exceedingly abundantly above what you ask, dream, or imagine. That God, he has this way of not only helping us discover his vision and accomplish it, but to exceed it, to go above and beyond. That's the kind of God we serve. And as I'm praying over this valley, I, I remember in my run, running down Coffee Road in Modesto, California. The sun was shining, it was hot, and suddenly I began to think about Magic Mountain in this valley. And as I began to think about Magic Mountain, I began to realize, you know, that, that valley is about families. They built a family entertainment um, center there that people come to. And then I immediately thought of Disneyland, and suddenly these dreams started pouring out of my heart, and I literally began to pray, God, I pray that you would stir my heart. I pray that you would do a miracle, that you would bless this church where we could take what Disneyland does for families, and let's do it for the kingdom of God. And I remember praying, God, give us a, a, a Holy Spirit Disneyland. Give us something that will change kids' lives. And I started thinking about water parks for kids and, and, and play and storylands for kids. And all these things came into my heart. And I began praying and believing and, and asking God to do something miraculous. So we start the church. We move down here. And it's interesting because after the church had just started, we just had a few people coming. There was this tall blonde guy that was standing in the back. And after the service, he comes walking up to me. He's like, hey, um, Jared, you know, this is kind of new for me. I'd love to ask some questions and go to coffee. Would you do that? And so I did. His name was David Lewis. He was the man who just stood a moment ago. We went to It's a Grind, and as we're sitting there, this is how raw he was. He wasn't a believer at the time. He didn't believe in Jesus, but how many know even when you don't believe in Jesus, Jesus believes in you? So we're sitting there, and as he's staring at me, he starts to ask me a question, and, and he says, he goes, Jared, can you answer a question? What is it that happens? I don't know why, but every time when the, 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 the service or the event starts, you guys do that singing thing. That was what he considered worship, is that singing thing. He said, whenever you do that singing thing, I get all emotional, and my eyes swell up with tears. He goes, what, what is that? We began to talk, and what I didn't know is that Within two weeks or so after that time at the coffee shop, during a service at Higher Vision, coming back, he would lift his hands and he would say, I want to receive Jesus into my journey. Here's the interesting part. What I didn't know is that his job before he was at the time doing some developing, but before that he worked at Disneyland and he had built as the project manager and kind of the producer, design producer, whatever, for Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. How many have been to that, that ride? What I didn't know is that he'd built Toontown. What I didn't know is that he'd built Animal Kingdom. But God did. Because God knows the relationships you need to give you the favor to build KidVenture. Come on, somebody say hashtag favor. Because when you invite Jesus onto your journey, he's going to bring the relationships, the freedom, the favor you need to fulfill your purpose. Come on, amen. It's interesting because I want to end with the last point. The last point is this. The last point is that a new adventure is awaiting you. A new adventure is awaiting you. So now notice that Jesus comes into the adventure. He's waiting for him. And then right relationships are there. I want you to see what happens when he has this encounter with Jesus. 
Because when he has this encounter with Jesus in Acts 26, he tells us what Jesus said to him. He says, now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you. This is why Jesus shows up. To appoint you as my servant and my witness. To tell people that you have seen me. And to tell them what I will show you in the future. I am sending you on an adventure. You thought you were going to Damascus, but I have so much more for you than Damascus. He says, I'm sending you to the Gentiles, to the people that everybody else thought was impossible, the people that they couldn't see. You can see it. There's a vision for you that nobody else can fulfill. I've called you to it. Let me stop and say, there are purposes and dreams and plans that God has called you to that nobody else can fulfill. Only you can. He said, I called you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness of their sins. Several years ago, Devet had a doctor's appointment down in L.A., and, and so we were, we were going to go for the appointment. And it happened to be that her father was there, and so we were all going together. I mean, going into L.A., um, you got to pick the right time. And if you don't, you need to plan for the traffic. So we, you know, looked up online the name of the doctor and got the address and <coughs> put it in our GPS and headed off for the, you know, to get to the doctor. And of course we hit traffic and we're like scrambling to get there, trying to get there on time. We roll in, get out of the car, walk up to the appointment desk and like, okay, we're here, uh, Devet Ming to see Dr. So-and-so. And they're like, uh, I'm sorry, but we don't have an appointment for you. I'm like, what, what do you mean you don't have an appointment? We just came all this way through the traffic. To get here, what do you mean you don't have an appointment? Here's what we discovered, make the long story short. There were two doctors in L.A. with the same name. (laughs) Point of the story is that we'd put all this energy, all this time, and what we didn't know the whole time was that we were on the wrong adventure. And that's what happened to Saul He didn't know he was on the wrong adventure. He thought his adventure was to kill Christians. He thought his adventure was to go to Damascus. But God said, no, 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 I have a different calling that's far beyond Damascus. And I believe that God has a great adventure for you and he has a great adventure for me. The question is, are you on the wrong adventure? Well, wait a minute, my adventure's good. It's to find a spouse, to have kids, to have a job, to provide for my kids. Yes, that's great. That's part of the adventure, but that's not all. God said, I want you to have an encounter with me because when you know me, I'm gonna bring greater things, healing, freedom, forgiveness, and here's what I want you to do. I want you now to marry that experience to your adventure so you can tell other people about it. So go into the world and tell them the power of inviting me into your journey. You know what I love about Kid Venture? Your kids, when they go to KidVenture, they're going to go into this, this area in the beginning. And it's, it's an experience. You're stepping out of 2019 into the 1930s. And when you step into the 1930s, you're going to walk into an area that's kind of like Grand Central Station or Union Station in the 1930s. Everything about the building is 1930s. And when you walk in, you're going to walk into the Ticket and Transportation Center, which is where your kids will get their ticket to go into the world. And when they get that ticket, they're going to go into a classroom eventually, and every classroom represents a part of the world. You have South America, North America, and Australia, and Asia, and Europe, and and as they literally go from infancy through fifth grade, they're going to go through every part of the world, just about. They're going to see in Europe, they're going to see Big Ben and the Eiffel Tower. They're going to see the, the, the Colosseum and the Parthenon. They're going to see all of these things. And as they go through this journey, they're going to learn that 
they're not called to go to Damascus. That they're called to go to the world. That they're, if they're a teacher or a doctor or a personal trainer or a missionary, that they're not just called to live life and have kids and die one day. They're called to live above and beyond, to be free and to share their story of the love and grace of God everywhere they go. Imagine your child, after years of seeing the Eiffel Tower, they show up on a trip for school when they graduate in college in Europe and they stand in front of the Eiffel Tower and now suddenly instead of seeing the Eiffel Tower, they go, wait a minute, you know what that reminds me of? That Jesus has sent me on an adventure. And here's the power of that adventure. When Saul was on his adventure, what happened? Because of sin, he hurt people. His adventure hurt people. Can I just stop and say that sin, when we don't have Jesus, sin and the consequences of sin, it hurts people. It hurts you. It hurts the people around you. I mean, you know, unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, addiction, all these things, they bring consequence. Saul hurt people on his adventure, but when he encountered Jesus he accepted his new calling, his new adventure, rather than hurting people, God used him to help people. The purpose, the destiny of your, your journey, your adventure changes when you realize that Jesus is waiting for you. When you get the right relationships to take you beyond where you are. And then what happens is this. Here's the beauty of it. Is that the people that you come into contact with now, that are like Saul, like you used to be, because you know what the Bible says? That the God of this world has blinded the minds of everybody who don't know Jesus. The devil has blinded their minds so they can't see the light of the glory of Jesus Christ. And guess what? You and I are called to be a light in the darkness. Our journey, our adventure changes and we, instead of hurting people, we help people, we free people, we set them free power of Jesus Christ.